Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are here with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are meeting with you as we sing you praise. And I pray we would stay in that place of worship as we read from your holy word. And you would continue to move in our midst, Lord God. We love your presence. You know, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I pray that this moment would be a moment where we really feel like we are in the presence of God, worshipping him as we read your word. So move, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Diane mentioned, we've been looking through the book of Habakkuk, a short little Old Testament book. And I'm afraid we've come to the end of the book um, after only four weeks. How sad. Um, But this is a wonderful passage of scripture that we're going to read together. I'm going to do a little recap and then I'll I'll read Habakkuk chapter three to you. So Habakkuk, the book, begins with a complaint. Habakkuk, the prophet, says to God, why aren't you doing anything, God, about injustice and violence in Judah? And God answers Habakkuk in chapter 1 and says, oh, don't worry, Habakkuk, I'm bringing justice on the land of Judah. I'm raising up the Babylonians to invade you and to punish the people who are doing wrong. And Habakkuk responds, as I'm sure many of us would, by going, what? Are you crazy, God? They're violent, aggressive sinners. You're using the Babylonians to bring justice? That doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And so God responds again to Habakkuk's second complaint. Be patient, Habakkuk. No sin goes unpunished. Justice will come upon the Babylonians as well. But you, Habakkuk, you need to keep living by faith. Keep having faith. Keep trusting me, even through the difficulties that are going to come. And so last week we read God's response, second response to Habakkuk, where he speaks about sin and justice um, that will come upon the Babylonians. So now we're left with one final question. We've had two complaints and two answers from God, and we're left with one final question. How's Habakkuk going to respond now? Is he going to complain again in chapter 3? Is it going to be the third complaint at the end of the book? How will Habakkuk respond now? And more personally, we've got an important question to ask ourselves. When we face injustice, when we see violence and difficulty in the world, when we, we go through suffering... We know we need to trust God and keep living by faith and wait for justice to come. But what should we do while we're waiting? How should we pray? How should we worship? What should we do in those moments between now and when Jesus will return in glory and will enter into the new heaven and the new earth? And I think that Habakkuk chapter 3 gives us a really good answer to that question. How should we respond when we face difficulty and suffering in our life? The answer we will read in Habakkuk chapter 3. He began in complaint. Let's see how Habakkuk responds now at the end of the book. So um, the words will appear on the screen behind me, and I'm going to read the whole of chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigionoth. And no one really knows what that word Shigionoth means. It's a, it's a type of song, I think. Anyway. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. And your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendour covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand 
and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength, He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Do you see in Habakkuk chapter 3, the complainer has become a worshipper. The complainer has become a worshipper. He's written a song. And it's not just a song for him to sing. It's a song that's going to be given to the choir master at the temple so that the congregation of people can sing in praise to God. Isn't that amazing? The transformative power of God. He meets with Habakkuk and he takes a complainer and turns him into a worship leader. And he leads the congregation in singing him praise. And before we get into the details of the text, let's just marvel at our God who transforms lives. All Habakkuk has is an encounter, a conversation with God, and his whole demeanour and attitude changes. You know, when we complain to other people in our lives, we tend to downward spiral in negativity. I don't know whether you've ever been in one of these conversations. You get two moaners together, and they just downward spiral in moaning and moaning and moaning and making each other miserable. When we complain to others, we tend to feel sorry for ourselves and we downward spiral. But when we come to God with our complaints, which we said a few weeks ago is perfectly okay for us to do. In fact, I'd encourage if you've got complaints, take them to the one who has all power and all authority to do something about them. Go to God with your complaints. When we come to God, 
Look at what's happened to Habakkuk. God has done a work in his heart. He's lifted him up, him up in a sense. And I don't know about you, but I know these kind of encounters with God in my life. I come to him and I'm fed up about something. I'm frustrated about something and I tell him how I'm feeling. And God just does something as I'm praying and lifts me to gaze upon Jesus, my saviour again, and to worship him and to, to rejoice. And so I, Habakkuk chapter three brings us firstly to that place of saying, God transforms hearts. He turns a complainer into a worshipper. And, and so I hope that you've experienced that in your life. And if not, if you're feeling like you want to complain, I hope you this morning or this afternoon, you go home and you complain and God moves in your heart. He's a God who changes our lives. Now, Let's walk through these verses that I've read to you. So firstly, in verse 2, Habakkuk is praying a prayer for revival. Lord, I've heard the report of you. Your work, O Lord, do I fear. I know, Lord, the work that you've done in the past. That's what he's saying at the start of verse 2. And then he says, in the midst of these years... Revive it. Do it again, Lord. I've heard amazing stories of the work that you've done in the past, Lord. I want you to do it again. You're telling me that the Babylonians are going to come and invade. I've told you that there's injustice in the land, but I've read the, I've read the stories in the Old Testament, Lord. I know you've come in power. I know you've brought joy in the place of misery. I know you've brought salvation in the place of fear and destruction. Lord, I'm praying, would you revive your work, the work that I've heard about in past generations? Even in the wrath, Lord, of the Babylonian invasion, would you remember mercy and revive your work? Isn't this precisely how we should pray today? Lord, we've heard, we've read in the Bible great stories. read the story of King David defeating Goliath, this mighty giant of a man being struck by a stone because David said, I'm fighting with the Lord's help. I'm going on behalf of the Lord. And so Goliath was slaughtered and David becomes king. We've read in the Bible the story of Lazarus in the New Testament and he dies and Jesus goes and raises him from the dead. We've read this, the story of the amazing resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. We've read the story in the Bible in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in power upon the people and and Peter, a fisherman by trade, stood up and preached a sermon that he hadn't prepared and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ and entered into salvation. We've We've heard those stories, we've read those stories in the Bible. Surely we should read those stories and say, Lord, do it again, do amazing miracles again, Lord God. Save thousands of people in a day, Heavenly Father. We've heard the report of you In our day, would you revive that work? And we've heard great stories from church history as well, haven't we? After the Bible was completed, we've heard stories even about the United Kingdom where God has swept across the nation and many people have believed in Jesus Christ, where people have entered into um, places where the people of God were gathered to worship and they've just fallen down because the power of the Spirit is in that place. We've heard stories throughout history of God moving amazingly. Lord, do it again. Do it again. Are we praying prayers for revival? 
And even as I'm preaching this morning, I hope our hearts would be calling to God to revive his work in this place. Lord, revive your work in Fareham, Hedge End, West End, Gosport, Droxford, in the United Kingdom, Lord God. Let us see revival because we know you are a God of mighty miracles and amazing work. We know that you're the God of salvation and we want to see you work in power again. We should definitely be praying prayers like that. And after praying in verse 2, this prayer of revival, from verse 3 onwards, Habakkuk remembers works that God has done in the past. He worships God for his might and his power. He hopes for God to work again in the future and he looks forward. So he's looking back in remembrance, but he's also looking forward in hope. Have a look at verses 3 and 4 where Habakkuk remembers Mount Sinai. He calls it Mount Paran in the text, um, which is a link to what Moses called that mountain in Deuteronomy. But he's remembering Mount Sinai and how God appeared to Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. The Holy One was there in the midst of the Israelites. And if you read um, Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, this is what it says. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The whole mountain trembled and God answered Moses in thunder. So in verse 4 where he's talking about brightness like light and rays flashing from his hand, he's talking about that moment at Mount Sinai where God appeared to the people in Israel. The mountain was consecrated. The mountain was a holy place. In fact, only Moses could touch the mountain. God says if anyone else touches this mountain, they will perish. And so in one sense, the fire and the cloud and the smoke showed God's power to the Israelites. They were like, whoa, God is here in the midst of the desert. In In one sense, God's power was displayed at Mount Sinai. But in another sense, the fire and the thunder and the smoke veiled God's power because it was only Moses who could go and meet with, meet with him in, in this, on this mountaintop. And so there's a, sh- a showing of God's power at Sinai, but also a veiling of God's power at Sinai, which is why verse 4, Habakkuk 3 verse 4, ends with, there he veiled his power. And Habakkuk remembers that story of Mount Sinai and he longs for it again. Show your splendour, Lord God. May the earth be full of your praise again, Lord God. Now consider Russia and Ukraine for a moment. We pray for peace. We pray for provision and help for refugees and those struggling. But above all, shouldn't we be praying for a vision of God, a display of his power and holiness in that place? What would happen if God showed up like he showed up at Mount Sinai in the middle of the war zone right now? The Russian invaders would fall down in terror, wouldn't they? Lord, have mercy on us, please. 
And the Ukrainians would do the same, falling down in worship and shouting the praise of God. We're praying that God would show up in those places where it's war-torn and where there's desperate things happening. We want God to show his splendor. The same for our town. Yes, there's lots of things that, where, where we need God to act and move in our lives and in our town. But most of all, aren't we just praying that God would show himself and reveal his glory and his love and his splendor in this place? Well, that's what Habakkuk is remembering And that's what Habakkuk is hoping for at the start of Habakkuk chapter 3. In verse 5, the Exodus connection continues. Habakkuk considers the plagues that afflicted Egypt in order that the Israelites might escape slavery. Do you remember the the story? It's a famous, it's the sort of thing you study in Bible study that that Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my, God says, let my people go. And when he doesn't, more plagues and pestilence come into the land of Egypt. Ten things happen until eventually Pharaoh relents and lets the Israelites go. Isn't it appropriate, as Habakkuk knows the Babylonians are coming, that there's going to be foreign invaders in the land, Isn't it appropriate to remember the Exodus story and a moment where the Israelites were in slavery to Egypt and God acted in power and brought them out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, into freedom? That's an appropriate thing to remember at this moment. He's saying the Babylonians are coming. It's going to be just like the start of the book of Exodus when we were in slavery to the Egyptians, apart from we'll be in slavery to the Babylonians. I've got to remember how God rescued those people. I've got to remember what God did, the deeds that he did in that moment in order so that I might have hope as we approach this coming Babylonian invasion. It's an appropriate thing to remember and reflect on. His memories are fueling his worship. His memories are fueling his hope, even as the Babylonian army approaches. But verse 6 doesn't seem to fit with this remembering of Exodus very well. Because in verse 6, God measures and shakes the whole earth. All the nations are impacted in verse 6. And Habakkuk starts talking about eternal mountains and everlasting hills that are being scattered and sunk low. In verse 6, God's dominance over nature is unmistakable. The whole earth, mountains and hills. And in the verses to come, rivers bend and shake and scatter under God's divine command. Now, there are some theologians who read from verse 6 onwards and try to see Old Testament stories in those verses. So they they try to continue the remembering theme. But others, including myself, think something else is going on in these verses. This is what I think is happening. As As Habakkuk remembers, he's also hoping and looking to the future. And remember verse 2, I've heard of your work in the past, revive it in the years to come. So Habakkuk in verse 2 is definitely looking back and looking forward. Well, I think the same thing is happening as he prays these prayers. He's remembering what God has done in the past. But as he's remembering the great deeds of God in the past, he suddenly has an apocalyptic vision of God's judgment and God's salvation to come. 
That's what I think is happening from verse 6 onwards. And it even, you can even read back into verses 3 and 4 where the whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. That seems like a, a future eternal thing. See, do you see? He, Hebrew poetry and prophecy isn't linear and well-ordered. It's not like, right, now, now I'm going to just remember and tell you all the things that are going to happen in the past. Now I'm going to talk about the present and then I'm going to talk about the future. No, Hebrew prophecy and poetry sometimes mixes all these things up together because it's the work of the Holy Spirit and Habakkuk's just responding to how God is moving in his heart. And so I think he's remembering, looking backwards, and then looking forwards and worshipping what is to come. You know, it would be easier to preach, actually, if Habakkuk was a bit more ordered in his thinking. You know, I like headings. This isn't, I haven't got three headings this morning. Um, I'm just preaching through the verses. But actually, it's far, far deeper when we think about Habakkuk's heart in this moment, this, in this song, in this poem, in this prophecy, whatever you want to call it, I think it really reflects the call of God during difficult moments here on earth. You know, when things, when you suffer in your life, or when you look at the world and you think that there's injustice, what do, what do we need to do in those moments? We need to look back and remember what God has done in the past. Particularly if it's personal suffering, it's really helpful to look back and see how much God has done for you in your past. You look back and say, well, God has always been faithful to me. He's been so good to me. Show me love. He's rescued me out of sin. He's rescued me out of darkness into light. We look back. And we also look at the work of Christ upon the cross. We look back at what Christ has done in history, that he died for us on the cross, that he rose again in power. And then we look back at the great, Old Testament stories of God's awesome, awesome power. So when we face difficult times of suffering, we definitely need to look back. But if we just look back, then we go, well, I'm stuck, aren't I? It used to be good. I long for the good. It used to be good and now it's rubbish. So we don't just look back. We also look forward and hope for great deeds to come. That's what we need to do when, when we're going through struggles, when we're, when we're suffering, when things are going wrong. We look back and say, God's done awesome things. I know awesome things are coming. I don't quite understand what's going on in my life right now, but I know that God is going to use this powerfully. And I know in the end, Jesus returns in victory and glory and pain and suffering and tears and sorrow will all be done away with. And I will enter into paradise. This is what Habakkuk's doing. He's remembering, he's looking back, and he's looking forward as God gives him this vision of the judgment to come. And of course, in those moments, you also consider the present blessings that every Christian has, that God is with you in whatever situation you find yourself in today. And so Habakkuk foresees God pouring out wrath upon the earth, on all who have not repented, on all who have sinned, God's judgment comes. And you'll see in verse 8, his wrath is so great that even the rivers and the seas seem to suffer at the hands of God. In verse 9, God draws his bow and shoots many arrows. The earth begins to split with huge rivers gushing forth. The mountains writhe. Just reflect on that just for a moment. God's Power is so awesome when he comes at the end of time that these sturdy, strong rocks of mountains begin to writhe as the judgment of God comes upon the earth. The vision that Habakkuk sees and tells just makes us worship God. You know, have you ever seen a mountain writhe? Well, that is the power of God that he can make that happen. 
in verse 11, the sun and moon stand still in the sky. And any um, Hebrew reader of that verse will be reminded of Joshua chapter 10, when Joshua won a great military victory. You know, the Israelites were fighting against their enemies and they needed more time. They needed more daylight, really, to complete the invasion. And so God causes the sun and the moon to stand still in the sky. I mean, we know scientifically now that it was the earth that was staying still for that moment. And so the sun and the moon stand still in the sky so that they complete this military victory. And so Habakkuk in verse 11 is again looking back, thinking there was this moment where the sun and the moon stood still. In fact, the way it reads, it sounds like they had an extra 12 hours or an extra 24 hours in that day in order to complete this military victory. But Habakkuk foresees a day when God will once again make the sun and the moon stand still, where God goes forth in fury against all all the nations. And on that day, he does not just fight for Israel and Joshua, but for all his people. Verse 13, he goes out for the salvation of his people, it says. So this moment of judgment is also a moment of salvation. That means for non-Christians, for those who have not trusted in Christ, the day of judgment is the ultimate terror, your worst nightmare, because you're an enemy of God and Jesus comes to enact justice. But for Christians... For those who have trusted in Christ, it's the day of salvation for us. Evil is destroyed. We are rescued. And the earth is reformed in glory and perfection. I think this is why the rivers are are breaking and the mountains are rising, because there's a moment of rebirth, a moment of recreation, where the earth is reformed the way it always should be and always will be in eternity, in glory and perfection. It says in verse 13, the head of the house of the wicked is crushed and the enemy is laid bare in shame and defeat. I think the head of the house of the wicked is Satan himself and he is crushed. He is shamed and defeated and destroyed. And in verse 14, I think Habakkuk speaks specifically about the Babylonians. The Babylonians who came like a whirlwind to devour the poor. Do you remember last week, one of the themes that kept cropping up in the sins of the Babylonians is that they crushed others in order to amass wealth for themselves. That was one of the biggest sins of the Babylonians. So I think the Babylonians are referred to as the ones who came like a whirlwind to scatter me and they rejoice as if to devour the poor. And what is Habakkuk, what is God saying about the Babylonians? The arrows that they themselves fired will be turned back on them and pierce their own heads. Church, we often speak of God's compassion and his love. And that's good because God is loving and God is compassionate. But to think of God as warm and cuddly is perhaps a mistake. Here he is portrayed as a fearsome warrior who crushes evil and defeats his opponents. God's goodness, his holiness, his righteousness, his justice requires a day of reckoning in which sin will be punished and justice enacted upon the earth. 
And that's what's being described here. When I was at Bible college, I had a, a friend from Africa and his members of his family had been killed by invading armies when he was in Africa. Children whom he loved, friends and family whom he loved. We're so sheltered in the West that sometimes we don't like this kind of picture of God. We don't like talking about the justice of God. But let me tell you, if one of your children or someone who you deeply love was killed by an invader who just came in and, you know, someone, someone you dearly loved was murdered by someone, you would want justice for that. And the good news of Christianity is that we have a God of justice. He's a God of mercy, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's waiting, hoping that people will repent and turn and believe in Jesus. But he is a God of justice. And he's a God of justice because he's a good God. And therefore he punishes evil. He hates evil. And so this day of justice is described by Habakkuk as he worships him in this song. Well, how should we respond to such images of God described in this passage in Habakkuk 3? Now, I think that Habakkuk offers us three appropriate responses to this vision of God coming in judgment. The first response is holy fear. Have a look at verse 16. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. Habakkuk does not fear God's judgment. He knows that he is a child of God and one of God's people and so he knows that when God comes in justice he's coming for Habakkuk's salvation not for his punishment. Habakkuk doesn't fear the punishment of God because he's, he's being saved in that moment. He's looking to the God of salvation. But the vision he sees is so glorious, so terrifying, so powerful that he trembles and quakes and quivers in awe at our awesome God. As Christians, we do not fear the judgment of God. Christ died on the cross, taking our penalty upon himself. He died in our place. So we, we don't, when God comes in judgment, if you're a believer in Christ, you don't need to fear that these punishments are going to fall upon you because they won't. They won't. Jesus died in your place. He was your substitute. You are forgiven. You're free. You're blameless. You, you fear no condemnation in the place of God. And yet there is something so awesome about the power of God that we have a holy trembling, a holy fear, a holy reverence. We bow before him, not, not because we're terrified he's going to destroy us, but because he's just so awesome. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. He's trembling and quivering and his legs are trembling beneath him because he sees how awesome God is. So our first response to this this picture, this song, is to have a holy fear, to tremble in the place of God's awesome power. The second response is to wait quietly, wait patiently. At the end of verse 16, Habakkuk knows that Babylon will invade Judah, but he also knows God will come for his salvation 
and he needs to wait. And I said last week, I think, that he ended up waiting 60 years. Who knows whether he was still alive when the justice came on, on the Babylonians and, and there was an end to this invasion. But he waits quietly. He waits patiently. And so when we see injustice in the world, when we suffer, as well as praying for revival and remembering God's great deeds in the past and looking forward and hoping for God to do great deeds in the future, as well as just faith and trust in God, we wait. We wait. I know that's not the answer you want to hear sometimes when you're going through suffering, but sometimes going through suffering requires waiting, knowing that God's timing is perfect. And often just waiting is the thing that shows the greatest faith. Lord, I don't know when, but I know you're going to sort all this out. And so I'm just trusting and I'm waiting. I'm waiting patiently. I'm still going to pray passionately that you're going to move tomorrow or in an hour or right now. But I'm also going to wait knowing that you know what you're doing. You're infinitely wise and infinitely glorious. I'm going to wait. Thirdly, so we have holy fear. We wait patiently. And thirdly and finally, in the midst of suffering and injustice and difficulty here on earth, we are to rejoice. Verses 17 to 19 are spectacular verses. Wonderful, wonderful verses. Let me read them to you again. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. You know, non-Christians can be happy when their football team wins. They can be happy when there's plenty of money in the bank. They can be happy when their career and job is going really well. They can be happy when their family is growing happily. But when none of those things are true, where do they have to go? Habakkuk says, there's no blossom on the fig tree. There's no food there's no fruit, there's no olives, there's no sheep, there's no cattle. I'm living at death's door, I'm starving. This is, in, in, in our world, it's the worst of circumstances. And yet, he is celebrating and rejoicing. Because he says, I still have the Lord and I will rejoice in him. You can't take God away from me. You can take all those things away from me, but I will always have God. He is my father. He is my saviour forever and ever. And I will take joy in him. And he's not just my God. He's the God of my salvation. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? We know that God has saved us as Christians. That's why Jesus died. That's why he rose from the dead. That's why he's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit to save you. And so even if you have no food or no money and everything's going wrong, you can rejoice in God and you can rejoice that he is the God of your salvation. You know, we are the church and we sing of of our salvation that we've received collectively. But we will say God is the God of my salvation. He's rescued me. I have him forever and ever. Christ died for me. He rose from the grave that I might have new life. He's given eternal life to me. You can't stop me rejoicing. You're never going to stop me rejoicing, whatever circumstances I find myself in, because I have the Lord and he is the God of my salvation. And then in that final verse, Habakkuk says, I don't need food for strength. God gives me the strength that I need. 
He even makes my feet like the feet of the deer. Can you imagine There's this invasion? Babylon invades Judah. The Jews are persecuted, enslaved, taken into exile. And Habakkuk's prancing around like a deer in rejoicing of God and what he's received. It's an amazing picture at this, the end of this book. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now, I'm sure he also mourned the loss and the things that were going on and struggled with those things. But at the same time, he's rejoicing because he has God. He's rejoicing because God. God is the God of his salvation and he and he's, has spiritual strength from God enabling him to keep going to keep persevering to keep waiting to keep having faith all oh, that we would have hearts like this faith and joy combined so that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in when darkness surrounds we are still singing and so that is what we're going to do for the rest of this morning. We're going to rejoice together. We're going to sing together. And so I'm going to invite the band to come up now. I pray and hope that this joy that Habakkuk describes would abound in this place and abound in our hearts as we sing together. Now, I don't know what you're going through right now. Some of you are probably in a good place and coming, you know, it's the sunny weather, you're happy, you're you're in a good place and you, you just can't wait to rejoice. But some of you might be in a dark place, going through difficult things. You know, whatever happened yesterday might not have been the best day in the world and you're sad maybe you're a Liverpool supporter and you're upset that you didn't win the Champions League um, like my wife is but you know you might be not in a great place and yet we come with joy into the presence of the Lord we sing and we declare that he is good because he is with us and he is the God of salvation and so whatever is going on in life he is our strength and he is our joy and so we're going to sing together and there's going to be a few songs so may there be contributions prayers of joy prayers for revival testimonies of great deeds God has done in your life faith for great deeds in the future please feel free to contribute to between the songs tap dial me on the shoulder or shout out from where you are that's absolutely great may there be a holy fear and reverence of God in this place as well as we sing with joy for what he has done because we place our joy and faith in God he is the God of the of our salvation now let's stand I'm going to pray and then the band are going to lead us Lord we know that you have done great deeds in the past. We pray, renew them here and now, in this place, in this room, but beyond this room, in the regions around us, Lord. Revive your work in this place. May there be great testimonies of your work. And I pray that we would know the rejoicing and the joy that Habakkuk speaks of. Fill this place with that joy as we worship you in Jesus' name.